0: i'm jimmy Piggott, and welcome to a impromptu edition of inside out our insurance regulatory podcast so for those of you who listened to the first edition of the pod back in july you may remember us saying this would be a half yearly roundup however we did very much leave the door ajar for any emergency podcasts uh, in the case of more exciting developments in the interim speaking of exciting i'm very pleased to be joined by sarah cody uh, a colleague uh, consumer duty doyen as I've coined her, and more formally a counsellor in our uh, financial regulation group. Sarah, welcome.
1: Thank you, Jimmy, for that excellent introduction. It's great to be here.
0: So, Sarah, the reason for today's podcast is the series of letters that the FSA has just sent to insurers, warning that more action must be taken to ensure good customer outcomes. Uh, obviously, the consumer duty isn't even two months old yet. Uh, many insurers are now in the thick of planning for the phase two go live for their closed book businesses next year. Uh, so it can hardly be said that these letters have arrived in a vacuum. So Dara, I'm grateful if you could just talk us through why these letters are important for insurers.
1: Sure, I think they're actually important for the industry as a whole. So obviously, the consumer duty went live at the end of July, and everyone has very much been waiting to see what the FCA is going to do with this fantastic new tool that they've. Kind of given themselves, and that firms have spent so much time implementing and, and rolling out across their their businesses. What these letters do is they set out the regulator's kind of market wide priorities, particularly around this this sticky point of price and value, alongside some really sector specific priority focus areas for for retail insurance, wholesale, and life and pensions. And there's also a separate letter for funeral plans. And I think what the letters give us are some really clear indications about what the FCA thinks the sector needs to sort out to, to meet its obligations under the consumer duty and where some firms are falling short. And why I think it's interesting to the rest of the industry is obviously insurance has been really ahead of most other sectors when it comes to the duty in the sense that it was already subject to the prod rules on product design and manufacture. And it also had rules for assessing value for general insurance products in particular. So I do see the the sector as something of a bellwether or an indicator for what the, the FCA might in time require other firms to do in other parts of the financial services industry. So I do think these letters are of wider interest on the consumer duty points, at least. there are some common themes in these letters, aren't there?
0: There are. So first of these, and particularly kind of hot button issue is governance and culture. So so we know that poor governance and culture is the root cause of many of the recent conduct failings. And the FCA does want firms to be able to show how they're actively working towards having a diverse workforce at all levels in their organisation. In this regard, the FCA said that it's disappointed about the perceived um, lack of progress in the the wholesale market in particular. Now, since these letters were sent, we have seen the FCA and the PRA launch a consultation on proposals to introduce. A new regulatory framework on d in the financial sector. That is a story for another podcast, but obviously just to flag that d is very much high on the agenda and more of that is to follow. Separate to governance and culture, we've got operational resilience and the increasing reliance on third parties. So as a brief reminder, OPRES, as the lazier among us like to call it, is the ability of firms to prevent, adapt, respond to, uh, recover and learn from operational disruption. And the FCA is taking the opportunity with these letters to remind firms of their operational resilience policy, uh, company rules and guidance. And that guidance came into force at the end of March last year. And Under that guidance, by the end of March 2025, in a nutshell, firms must have performed the necessary mapping and testing in order to remain within impact tolerances for their important business services. And a quick side note here for insurers with a European footprint and Obviously, today's podcast has very much got a UK lens, but from a European perspective, operational resilience similarly on the agenda. Progress is also being made on the level two measures under the EU's Digital Operational Resilience Act, uh, which will come into force in early 2025. And in many respects, we'll actually edge the EU ahead of the UK in terms of the extensiveness of its opera's legal and regulatory framework. Worth checking out our our website where we discuss these changes in more detail, a topic particularly close to to my heart. And then improving oversight of appointed representatives. So the FCA is using data and analytics to help identify high-risk principles and is taking appropriate action on outlier firms. So the FCA will be testing that firms are properly embedding the new rules across the AR regime and increasing its engagement with principal firms and other stakeholders.
1: I think there are some sector-specific priorities as well, aren't there?
0: there are indeed so breaking these down by sector so let's start with uh, life insurance so key focus areas for life insurers would be putting customer needs first particularly in the context of price and value consumer support and service effective customer journeys obviously very long or potentially long lifespans of these products supporting customers in financial difficulty um, and suitability and value of life protection products uh, in particular there's a real focus on ensuring firms meet their obligations when it comes to sustainability related investments and disclosures as well and that includes that sustainability claims must be clear, fair and not misleading. I think in this context, it's really interesting to note this in the context of the shift to sustainable default funds for pension schemes. And the FCA is clearly concerned that members' inertia, and inertia obviously is a perennial problem for, uh, for pension saving, that inertia may lead to members of pension schemes being landed in funds that they may not understand or may end up staying in even if they don't particularly want to be invested in that, in that particular fund. So the FCA ultimately expects firms to have a good grasp of customers' expectations and appetite for sustainable investments and firms really need to be making sure that they're communicating clearly on that topic. Now for wholesale insurance the FCA has highlighted a number of focus areas including its intention to engage with London market trade bodies when developing future proposals to support the competitiveness of the London market. Governance, culture and non-financial misconduct is also key for uh, wholesale insurers. Financial crime and reducing the harm from firm failure as well. And then at the other end of the scale so personal and commercial lines insurance so the focus remains on putting consumer needs first similar to life insurance with an emphasis on consumer support claims access sales practices and governance culture and non-financial misconduct So that's a very whistle-stop tour of all of the important stuff within the uh, the letters that are sector-specific. And unsurprisingly, the consumer duty looms large over pretty much all of it. So, Sarah, I think this is where I will bring you back in to talk a little bit about the FCA's focus on insurers embedding the duty throughout their operations.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Jimmy. So we said at the start that, you yeah, know, their key focus area in these letters is, is how firms in the insurance sector go around embedding the consumer duty. The FCA starts by stating that it expects firms to put the consumer at the heart of their business to ensure that they're delivering good outcomes, both for open products and services now, and obviously in readiness for the duty applying to closed products and services from 31st of July 2024. So, so far, so predictable. The FCA notes in some letters concerns that board Boards might not be taking enough action to ensure positive outcomes for consumers as a sort of macro point. And they want boards to be proactive and not to treat the duty as you know a compliance exercise. Leadership on the duty is obviously going to be key. And the FCA has been really explicit about that from the start. I think what's more surprising to me actually that there are boards out there that are not taking the duty seriously. Certainly what we're seeing amongst our clients is very serious consideration of the duty at, you know, the most senior levels of firms. And I think, you know, it is important to remember that this needs to be evidenced and that, you know, your paper trail in terms of documenting discussion of the duty and decisions that are made, you know, it needs to be really solid. And obviously this is where your consumer duty champion will have a role to play in terms of making sure that those discussions are happening, but they do still need to be recorded. But the main focus, I think, in this these letters, in terms of the FCA's discussion of the duty, is about this demonstration of fair value. And we're seeing this as the main theme, actually, of the FCA's early interventions on the duty since Go Live. So we saw a significant focus in July around cash savings accounts, for example, and, and looking at value there and actually asking you know, banks to submit their value assessments for open and for closed products, interestingly. And for the insurance sector, I think this is really even more interesting because as we said at the start insurers have had value rules for a while and so the FCA has had time to see how this plays out and how firms respond to requirements around value. So what
0: are the things that are causing the FCA most concern here do you think?
1: So again at a kind of a macro level the the FCA is looking for this cultural shift where manufacturers and distributors are sharing data and collaborating to ensure that charges are reasonable compared to overall benefits and it is, is concerned that it's not seeing either sufficiently good um, management information and data collection or sufficient sharing of what data that firms do have available. And there's a criticism in a couple of places that distribution chains can be unnecessarily long and that distributors aren't being sufficiently clear about how fair value is delivered where an insurance product is sold alongside a primary product, for example.
0: And so that would be scenarios where you've got insurance sold with the, um, sort of the product such as a car or mobile phone or another insurance product. So boiler cover sold with home insurance would be a good example of
1: that. Yeah, that's right. And we know this type of bundling of financial services products is a concern for the FCA. We saw similar criticism playing out in the context of package bank accounts. The difficulty for firms here from a value perspective is separating out each product and understanding its value proposition as a standalone item. So there is a piece around ensuring that each standalone product delivers good outcomes in and of itself, and also making sure that, that customers are clear about what is and isn't covered, and making sure that they're even eligible to claim under each traditional policies. So the duty requires firms to have a really clear idea of who their products are for and the benefit that they deliver. And if they're just being offered as a sort of box that you tick as part of your application for home insurance, for example, it's really quite possible that neither firms nor consumers are likely to be doing the right amount of thinking about whether this product is right for them and whether it can deliver value for that customer and if whether that customer is even in the right target market for that particular product. And then there's also this cross-subsidies point, which can be really hard to untangle, but does need to be understood, I think, if a proper evaluation of value is going to happen. Now, I don't think for a moment that it's impossible to maintain this model under the duty, but I think it is clear from this sort of initial publication by the FCA that firms do need to do more to articulate their case that these products can deliver fair value, regardless to an extent of how they are sold or where there are risks inherent in the fact that perhaps they are being bundled with other products, that they can articulate the value case there more clearly.
0: That's interesting. So yeah, it'd be interesting to kind of understand a bit more about what else that the FCA uh, has raised in this context.
1: So some of the other highlights in the letter, um, one is, is firms not suspending or withdrawing products due to them failing their assessments of value. So under the duty, if you are intending to remove a product because it doesn't comply with the duty, whether that's because it's failed its fair value assessment or for some other reason, you need to tell the FCA of this. So presumably the FCA has a good helicopter view of which products are being pulled as a result of consumer duty concerns. It, it's an interesting one there. So I... Uh- not quite sure what the FCA was hoping for here. It's quite possible that firms are just enhancing the value position of their products so that they don't fail where they they found products with problems initially. And that might be much more preferable to pulling a product completely, which obviously reduces the range of products on the market for consumers. I'm not sure that this is necessarily indication that firms aren't doing a good enough job here, but it's interesting that the FCA have picked up on this. There's also a concern that firms are earning on average higher margins from longer tenure customers. So they This is something of a perennial theme, I think, in in the insurance sector. And to me, it very much links back to the bad on price walking and this general concern the FCA has that loyal customers are possibly penalised rather than rewarded. The question, I think, around margin is, you know, how high is too high? In our experience, the FCA isn't particularly willing to commit here. It's maintaining that it's not a price regulator, that this isn't price regulation. But comments like this do, you know, they're treading a fine line here, I think. And it's not necessarily, again, the case that a high margin product can't also deliver good value for money. I do think there is a risk when you start zeroing in on individual elements of the overall value piece like this and giving them perhaps undue providence or weight that you you sort of skew the assessment as a whole. You know, It's a holistic assessment of value. It's not supposed to be about kind of one element being prioritised over another. I think other points that the FCA raises, again, possibly if he's about it quite predictable. So customer support comes up. So claims taking too long to process, poor communications. Again, this is relatively easy fodder for the FCA under the duty. And these really are basics that firms just have to get right now. And that means training and upskilling your claims handlers. It may mean increasing resourcing to ensure that customers are able to use the product for the purpose they bought it, which generally speaking is to provide cover in a way that is easy and accessible to them when they need it. They also talk about slow transfer and claim settlement times on the life side and lengthy response times. So there is a situation Suggestion that some firms are setting lower service standard targets here. And you can see that in the context of the duty, that's going to be difficult to continue with. And then there's an interesting piece around the cost of living crisis. So the FCA picks up on a concern about customers either not having access to insurance at all or firms cutting back on their service teams to save money. So the latter is obviously a common complaint from the FCA and something that firms should really be cognizant of when thinking about internal resourcing. So in the financial crime space, for example, we've seen a lot of firms. Firms criticized in enforcement actions for not investing sufficient amounts in their compliance teams, for example, you can kind of lift that and you know apply it to insurance in terms of you know, underinvestment in, in claims handling and customer support. And then in terms of this piece around customers not having access to insurance that is affordable, that feels to me more like a policy issue. I don't know what you think, Jimmy, and that's something that actually the industry yeah. and government need to work on together to solve. It's not something any individual firm can fix. So those are just some general points. But Jimmy, I think there are some specific issues on the life side, which are also worth flagging.
0: Yes, there are. So fees and charges, in particular where there are complex value chains, the FCA want to understand the transparency of fees across that value chain and how overall value is being assessed with a particular focus on, on unit-linked investments. Annuities also comes up in the letter. Annuities, amazing, you know, uh, what were we, seven, eight years on from pension premiums? Annuities are back from firms are reminded to make it clear to customers purchasing annuities that they might get a better rate by shopping around and contrast that like sort cash savings communications where banks have been told to inform customers if they have products with better rates available and similar principles apply to annuities and and customers really being encouraged to shop around for the best deal available on the market and obviously in many cases that will not be the provider where they have their pension savings with up until up until the point of crystallization so annuity is very key for the life protection market through the regulators thematic review of prod 4 that was announced earlier this year the fca is testing if protection products specifically are delivering fair value and i think it's fair to say the fca is not going to be shy in coming forward to engage with insurers if it identifies evidence of poor outcome In this context, the FCA is also particularly concerned about commission, uh, specifically that levels of commission may not always be consistent with fair value and may incentivise unnecessary product churn. These are long-standing issues with commission, but obviously coming into sharp focus again in a consumer duty context.
1: It's also worth noting that we have our first real piece of intervention. At the same time as publishing the portfolio letters, the FCA published its first full year of general insurance value measures for January to December 2022. Off the back of that, it has sent separate letters to firms manufacturing gap insurance products, telling them that they must take immediate action to prove customers are getting a fair deal or the FCA will intervene and giving firms a three-month ultimatum. So again, I wonder if this is an early indication of the way in which we're going to see the FCA pushing firms to really demonstrate in fairly short order, actually, the ways in which they are complying with the duty, particularly in areas that are a concern to the FCA.
0: Thanks. Yes, I agree with all of that. And I think just coming back on this fair value piece this is something that's going to be a really tricky area for insurers to navigate over the next couple of years thinking about general insurance following the FCA's interventions on home and motor renewal pricing we've obviously now starting to see insurers look at voluntary redress for example for potential overcharging and So insurers are having to kind of take that guidance apply in the consumer duty context and and obviously now having to take action I think also workplace pensions for example has its very unique framework to navigate so you've got the 75 basis points cap on charges within auto enrollment default funds you've also got the fact that workplace pension schemes also have an independent governance committee or governance advisor arrangement in place. So the IGC or the GAA is remit to ensure the members receive value for money. And there's clearly plenty of overlap between the IGC and the GAA's work and the consumer duty. And so insurers are going to need to consider value holistically and consider all of these kind of various aspects and, and information that's coming into them in the round. So specifically under the consumer duty rules, just to recap, providers must use the IGC or the GAA's value for money assessment as part of its own value assessment. And where, for example, you have a situation where a provider disagrees with the IGC or the GAA's assessment, it would then need to clearly set out how the scheme or the pension scheme, I should say, does in fact provide fair value. And it would do that using the framework in Cops 19. Providers would then need to take corrective action if it can't adequately explain why it disagrees with the IGC or GAA assessment. And the ultimate outcome for that is that uh, firms may risk breaching the consumer duty if their explanations are not sufficient. So in short, you can see how things are going to have the potential to get very, very sticky over the next couple of years if firms aren't adequately prepared. I think that's all we have time for on this pod. Thanks, Sarah, for joining and bringing all of your expertise. You can find out more on our dedicated regulatory insurance and consumer duty web pages. You can find those in the normal way via Google, etc. Other search engines are available. Otherwise, do feel free to reach out to your linked latest contact or one of us directly. And we look forward to speaking with you again soon.